Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mike Springston FFC Podcast, coaching you in the Word. We're glad to have you from wherever you are. Today, we're going to be exploring uh, some teaching, uh, and we're going to entitle it Living Engaged with the Spirit, and we're looking into Paul's ministry from Acts chapter 18. Before we do that, we want to again welcome you. We want to encourage you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministries.com, ffcma.org, and of course you can always contact us through Family Fellowship Chapel Messaging. Um, we're glad to have you. We hope that the Word of God ministers to you today. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the Scripture. Father, we thank you for the Word Open our eyes that we can see our ears, that we can hear in our heart, that we can understand what the Word of God is saying to us. Then, Father, let us apply it to our lives so that we can be changed into the image of your dear Son. Now, Father, we yield ourselves, surrender ourselves, and sanctify ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus will speak through Him to us the ministry and the word of ministry that is required for this moment. We thank you for it, and we ask it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. Well, today, while I was enjoying my early morning exercise by playing a few holes of golf, I inquired of the Lord concerning something in Paul's ministry. I asked the Lord, how could Paul be so sure about his ability to demonstrate the Holy Spirit? The answer was almost immediate. Paul had no fear. Now, we all know that fear is a debilitating source. It'll keep one from ever attempting to reach their full potential. Fear of failure may be the strongest single feeling that people have. It's the reason, in my opinion, that most people do not take risks and probably saying that from applying it to my own life. It's the reason people often settle for far less than what they're capable. In my opinion, it is an evil and an extreme evil part of the fall. So after I received that immediate word from the Spirit of God, I said, can you teach me that? Immediately, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me concerning the practical application of fear. It began, actually, with my very next shot. I heard the Spirit say, what are you afraid of? (laughs) I said, well, right now, it's missing this shot to the left. I heard the Holy Spirit say, clear your mind. I said, how do you do that? I received the word, clear your mind. I took that to mean that I wasn't to focus on whether I was going to miss it right, left, or miss it at all. But I was to focus on the process and not the outcome. So I began to concentrate on what I was doing prior to the shot. That meant that I would look at how my body was positioned and when I became comfortable that I was in the correct setup, Then all I had to do was release the body to do what I had set it up to do. There it was. There was no fear of an outcome. I spent the rest of the day focusing on the process. I found out 
The process is the only thing that I have any real chance to control. The fear of missed shots or missed putts were quickly forgotten. Now, in the relationship to the spirit world, we can only control our time spent with God, our time in prayer, our time seeking Him, our time worshiping Him. We can only control what it is we understand about Him, particularly concerning His names of Jesus Christ, our High Priest, our Lord, and our God. We can only control how we get set up. Now then, when I finished, I said, Lord, can you show me in Scripture where this actually happened for Paul? Well, lo and behold, here we are today looking at Acts chapter 18, and there it is. Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. He said, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. Well, this was the message that solidified Paul's ability to preach while demonstrating the endued power of the Holy Spirit. The Lord had assured Paul of the following. Number one, what you're doing, Paul, is of me. Therefore, you don't need to be afraid. When you speak what you speak will be the words that I am speaking. Therefore, do not be afraid. Do not hold back. Do not hold your peace. Now, what does all of this mean? Well, Paul was visited by night vision, and his ministry was confirmed by the Lord himself. When one has such confirmation, he has nothing to fear. Ah, that leads me to know that we're not walking and living in the Spirit because many of us are ministering from a ministry that has not been confirmed by the Lord. Many of us are ministering by ministry that probably would have been best spent as a Sunday school teacher. Many of us are ministering by ministry that are working out of the intellect, and we're going to see that in Paul in a minute, and not working out of the Spirit at all. When one has such confirmation of the Lord, he has nothing to fear. He no longer is fearful that his flesh will be in operation. He has no fear of any desire that his flesh will jump in the way and seek personal gain or personal glory. He knows that he's walking in the Spirit. He's engaged with the Spirit. He knows the Spirit is engaged with him and working through him. He knows that this means that Jesus Christ is operating through the Holy Spirit, using Him to do the works that are being or are going to be done, living, engaged to the Spirit. Mark concluded that the means of confirmation would always be the accompaniment of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is the precise thing that has been brought to bear in Paul's ministry. The words, be not afraid, are integral to any ministry in the Spirit. 
The spirit must identify with this principle. Fear will always serve to stymie the development of anyone who is attempting to do anything. And I mean anything, not just ministry work. It has an even greater force, however, when it's related to spiritual things. Now, why would that be? Because it is the exact opposite of faith. These two are diametrically opposed to each other. Fear is the counteracting force that evil uses to depress, oppress, hold captive, and maintain bondage upon people. So when Paul is doing life engaged in the Spirit, he has to be released from the biggest obstacle that hinders his opportunity for success. My friend, fear is that obstacle. Now there is the game of what if. This becomes the very verbiage of fear. What if I fail? What if I get in the flesh? What if I say something I shouldn't? What if it doesn't come out correctly? What if I'm uh, missing God? What if someone gets mad? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? These are all the deceptions of the devil. Now, the precursor of all of this as I told you about my golf swing, is how you set up. How you set up. Well, if you don't set up in times of Bible study, in times of prayer, in times of seeking God, in times of meditating on the Scripture, if you're not setting up your life to be able to hear the Spirit of God, to be able to move, be moved by the Spirit of God, to be able to listen to the directives of the Spirit of God, to be led and guided by the Spirit of God, to be reproved by the Spirit of God, then you're, setting, you're not setting up correctly to live in the uncluttered mind of the Spirit. No, you will live in the life of what if, what if, what if, what if, and that fear will take you away from and out of the engagement of the life in the Spirit. This, my friend, is the deception of the devil. Let's look into the Scriptures and see what Paul was doing to prepare for this meeting with the Lord in uh, Acts chapter 18, verse 9. Verse 1 said, After these things Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Paul was coming to Corinth where he would write two letters that held vital information to and for the church. Particularly, the information would deal with the work of the Spirit. This instruction would become the gold standard for operating in the Spirit and the utilization of the gifts of the Spirit. Verse 2, And found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus lately, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because the Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. Aquila and Priscilla were a married couple who shared in Paul's vocation as they were both tent makers. They had been displaced because of their blood origin. Their blood origin, however, was not the measure of how they worshipped. So Paul came to meet with them, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. Now get that, he reasoned in the, in the synagogue. He reasoned in the synagogue. 
Paul was in the synagogue daily telling the Jews and the Greeks about the fact that there was more than the understanding and abiding in the law of their religion. There was a greater means of worship. He must have been quite a persuasive speaker to hang out with them. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus Christ, Jesus was Christ. Now, Paul receives an unction from the Spirit. He begins here to engage in the Spirit. This is an inner directive that comes from the Holy Spirit and causes one to know that he knows that he knows that something must be done. Now, this pressed upon Paul. Due to this inner knowing and the desire to follow the Holy Spirit, Paul began to speak to the Jews concerning Jesus Christ. Now, verse, in verse 4, we can see that there was a fear in Paul to speak in depth concerning Jesus Christ. His method of persuasion we do not see in writing, but we do see that he's making an attempt to help people to understand things that they probably don't know. Now, this is the method of the intellect. People, <coughs> excuse me, who have no inner spiritual content, but they have a desire to tell the story, often resort to making an attempt through means that are common and commonly understood. Now, Paul, of course, had great spiritual content. He had been saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, but in Corinth, it appears that Paul was doing just that. But as is always the case, the intellect, as sharp as it can be, and as quick as one's wit can come about has no real influence on those who are also operating out of the intellect. A question is posed by one intellect and another intellect operating from the same intellectual source answers the question often with a question and the outcome is that both intellects rise up to claim victory. You know, he couldn't answer my simple question. See, Therefore, what he says has no merit. Soon many who see life through the same vein of perception agree, and of course, the intellect wins. The problem is, how do we determine which intellect really won? Because nothing was solved. One of them walks off happy that he was able to, quote, stand and defend his or her faith. The other walks off just as certain that they have stood and defended their personal beliefs. So, in reality, the intellect wins, but neither party really accomplishes anything. Paul now is moved upon by an inner witness. He is being engaged by the Spirit. This witness transcends the intellect. Not only is it a greater and, and deeper uh, engagement, but it has the wisdom of the seven spirits of God behind the instruction that it's giving. You remember those, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, reverence, and the fear of the Lord. Now, these are the same spirits that are spoken of in Isaiah 11, and they, of course, rested upon Jesus Christ. He himself mentioned them in Luke 4 when he stated that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now, Paul begins to speak from an engagement that has started from within. 
He begins to share the message of Jesus Christ as it comes directly from Jesus Christ himself. This is a divine witness. Because of this, a divine impact was flowing from Paul. He testified to them that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, Messiah of which they sought. The Holy Spirit's impression was a strong one as Paul was now telling those who once agreed with him and the persecution that Paul perpetrated upon those who were Christians. And now Paul is preaching in the very name that he once was persecuting. He is now making testimony. Now this was both powerful and dangerous territory. The same ones that had run with Paul to destroy and persecute those that they saw as infidels were still operating in the Jewish community. Paul has now placed himself in the crosshairs of the culture. The good news was that he was now operating from an engagement with the Spirit and an inner anointing. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, verse 6, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon our heads. I am clean. From henceforth I'll go unto the Gentiles. Now they vehemently disagreed with Paul. He stood under the influence of the Spirit, and they had again rejected his words. Now notice this. When he communicated with him through his intellect, there was no vehement reaction. It was just a matter of discussion and conversation. <clears throat> no harm, no foul. The intellect brings no means of change. It brings a means of discussion. This always results in the last one speaking, seemingly holding the upper hand. But when the Spirit got involved... Paul's methods changed everything concerning these interactions, and they evolved into a hyper-intense atmosphere. Jesus Christ as Messiah was not what they desired to debate. They had already concluded that they had crucified. They had the cross. They had the tomb to prove it. They had the accusations and the law of the land to speak to the fact that he was a deceiver. Luke writes that they opposed themselves. Now, what does that mean? It means that they opposed the very scripture of which they believed, of which they searched, and of which they seemed to rely upon. They were in opposition to prophecy. They were in opposition to the prophets. They were in a state of making their desires transcend the word of which they were supposed to worship. They, in essence, are opposing the God who had called them his people and he to be their God. Now, friend, this is a serious opposition. When you see it, hear it, witness it, and still refuse to acknowledge it, you have a problem deeply rooted in yourself. But this may be what we're seeing today. This is exactly what they did according to Luke in Acts 18. It's very similar to what we're seeing we believe information because we're told that it's so. We're shown bits and pieces and made to agree with what we see. We are coalesced to, a go, uh, to go no deeper into the matter. We're told if we do, we're not a part of the correct narrative. This brings a name-calling barrage that is meant to isolate and eventually eliminate 
the one who desires to research before they decide. Now, in our day, you either buy it today or you're counted in the opposition. Well, Paul was not a buyer. He heard them make their opposition. He heard them blaspheme. They railed all sorts of evil upon the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible said he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean. Paul executed what Jesus told the disciples to do in Matthew 17. He shook them off. This was the most powerful thing Paul could do on the one hand. Then he said, Your blood be upon your own heads. The raiment rebuke was something known and understood in the land, and the blood rebuke was also known and understood as they related this to the activity in the tabernacle. Neither of these had any relevance to those, however, who Paul spoke. Paul declares that he has obeyed the Spirit. I'm clean. I've engaged with the Spirit, and I've obeyed the Spirit. I've done what the Spirit impressed upon me to do. You refuse to hear the truth. You refuse to hear your own testament and the prophecy therein, so I rebuke you. I condemn you, and I declare that I have been obedient to what I've been told to do and to say. Now, Paul speaks to the ministry to which he is eventually and in reality called. He's going to proceed on to the Gentiles. There he will meet with a willing ear and a ready heart. Verse 7. And he departed thence and entered into a man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. So Paul leaves Aquila and Priscilla, joins the house of Justice. Justice's house is attached to the synagogue. Now in the meantime... Paul begins to minister, and the Bible said, And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Paul's now operating under the influence or the engagement of the Spirit. He leads the chief ruler of the synagogue and his entire house to come to believe on Jesus Christ. Along with that, many Corinthians believed and were baptized into repentance. Now, of course, this is a big time for Paul. He's operating with a new fervor and a new influence. And then comes verse 9. Then spake the Lord to Paul in a night vision. Don't be afraid. Speak. Hold. Don't hold your peace. Now notice, the Lord spoke to Paul. Paul had been operating from what we would call a spiritual knowing. I'm referring to it as a spiritual engagement. As he was impressed by the Spirit to speak the words of testimony concerning Jesus Christ. Paul had told his story to the Jews. He shared with them how it had happened. What had happened to him. And in the very end of verse uh, 6, he share, or 7, he shares to them why it happened to him. And that's for the ministry to the Gentiles. Now Paul has a vision. And from that vision he is was informed that any fear must be eliminated. He was informed that his speech would be under the divine direction. Now Paul had already identified with what he had been impressed to do and to testify concerning Jesus Christ. Now, though, he was functioning from a direct command from the Lord. Don't be afraid. Speak. And don't hold your peace. Luke knew who the Lord was as he had heard him identify his power and authority in all three worlds in both Matthew and Mark. 
Paul would later describe the Lordship in Philippians chapter 2 as it being the thing that would make every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. As for now, the Lord had said, don't be afraid, speak, and don't hold your peace. These words set the stage for the ministry that Paul was about to undertake. As he ministered in the Spirit, he had the assurance that what he was speaking had the divine backing of the one who would later, he would later identify as the man in the Godhead. Verse 10, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. What a promise. For I am with thee. In Corinth, no man shall hurt you. Don't worry concerning those who posture, those who buck up, those who have power. I'm going to keep them from you. Don't be afraid. Now, why in Corinth is the question? Because in Corinth, the message of the Holy Spirit's operation would be told and penned for the future of the church. Corinth is a special place because they were engaged in spiritual activity. Sometimes it appeared that it acted out in wildfire, but they were attempting to do what they knew. So Paul was sent to stabilize the situation. He was sent to instruct and speak in a sound that left no uncertainty. As the Lord said, there were many already in the city, but what they needed was instruction and direction. They needed to understand how to live engaged to the Holy Spirit. They didn't need suppression, nor did they need obsession, nor did they need oppression. They needed to be taught how the Holy Spirit operates, and how to flow with and in the Spirit. So Paul is to walk in making no uncertain sound of which he alludes to in chapter, I believe it's chapter 12 or 13. He hears the message and he knows what to do and he has already understood. Now watch this, how the Spirit produces an inner witness. With these two tools, Paul is prepared to minister to Corinth. Now, do you see how Paul set himself up correctly to engage with a clear mind with the impressions and the directions of the Holy Spirit so that he could simply allow his, the Spirit to work through his soul, out of his body, into the lives. It could just be released. No fear to do it. Verse 11, And he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul continues to follow the directions of the Lord through the Spirit for 18 months. Paul operated in a day and time when what he did was in direct opposition to the biblical law of the day. He was made to be a strong communicator by the impression of the Spirit and the freedom from the fear of repercussions or outcomes. This is a dynamic that the ministry today lacks. We're so intellectually minded that we receive no concepts, insights, or ideas from the Holy Spirit. We are fearful of rejection, so we have no dialogue that is not comfortable. We think that discipleship is a process of bonding that eventually convinces the other party to become such friends with me that they desire to accept the one whom I serve. This was not the case with Paul. It was not the mission for which God sent Paul. If it were, Paul would have never challenged the belief system of anyone. He would have sat with them daily waiting for them to see a difference in him and then ask him what it was. 
The plan of God was more immediate than that for Paul. It was far more intense than that for Paul. Someone said, but what if we drive them off? The answer to that is very clear if you read the parable of the seed and the sower. Most will not hear or receive. If they do, most will not grow. The answer is that the ones that do are transformed from what they were to what they became because of four intense impressions upon their life. You see, a seed has to have time, temperature, water, and pressure to grow. It will go from something that is small and most often not even so pretty into something that blooms and has a beauty all of its own. In the process, it will die. It will then come apart and then sprout. In the Christian life, a believer must go through the identification of sin in their lives. The convicting of their spirit that is a product of the Holy Spirit, the convincing of the fact that there can be a new and better spiritual and physical life provided by the love of God, then the new birth where a new life that is beautiful in its own right sprouts up. A new inner person develops, and they're developing after love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faith. This became the goal of Paul. He had 18 months to minister to an entire city. He had 18 months to fix the worship issues. He had 18 months to explain the working of the Holy Spirit. He had 18 months to help build the church. My friend, his ministry was intense. His message was clear. And he did so without fear, without fear of his flesh, without fear of anything that his flesh could do because he set himself up to live, walk, talk, and engage with the Spirit. And then without fear of those who might have retribution because they disagreed. What a great thing. We can engage in the Spirit and we can live without fear because we can set ourselves up to live walk, and talk. If Paul, being a man, could do so, then we can do the same. Father, I bless you today. Bless your word. Bless your people. Teach us, Father, how to engage with the Spirit and live without fear. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our God, amen and amen. Well, we thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. You know the means and methods to contact us. I hope you do. I want to tell you that if you'll come to him as Jesus Christ, your high priest, find him as Lord, find him as man in the Godhead, he will begin to communicate to you. And that communication will cast out every vain thought, every imagination, but most of all, every fear. It'll take you to a place where you can reach your potential by grace because of what Christ has already done for you. Find him. He is your answer today. May God bless you until we speak again.